Good morning. My name is Jacob Fletcher. For those who don't know, I am the summer intern. Well, actually, sadly, this is my last Sunday. My internship's coming to an end, but before I start the sermon, I'd like to just express how much of a blessing this was. First off, for Dustin taking me under his wing. He's not here, obviously. He is at CIY with our high schoolers. But he has poured so much into me, and he has made me so much more equipped and ready for ministry in the future. Him and I became a relationship outside of just mentor and person under him. I also want to thank Donnie and Casey. They both also took me under their wing. They poured into me, and honestly, it started to feel like I had two mentors, not just one. But then also, I want to thank you guys. From the first Sunday I walked in there, I had people coming up, welcoming me. Before they even knew I was the intern, you made sure I felt like this could be a home for me. So thank you. But that being said, let's move towards the sermon. Let's start off by praying. Dearly Father, I pray right now as we get ready to listen to your word that we all can come in with an open heart, including myself. It's easy for the person giving the sermon to just preach it and not actually live it out themselves. And I just pray that all of us can take it in. Amen. So today we will be in 2 Samuel 24. We'll also look at 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, but that'll be later on. Our main passage will be 2 Samuel 24. So we'll start off with verses 1 and 2. Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. The king said to Joab, the commander of the army, who was with him, Go about now through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and register the people that I may know the number of the people. Before we can continue, we have to ask ourselves a question. Because if we don't understand this, then we won't understand why David later on finds out that he sinned. We have to look at a couple translations because there's a difference in translations, and it makes a huge difference even though it might seem minor. So we're going to look at three different versions, translations of the Bible. We'll look at the New King James Version, the New International Version, and the New American Standard Bible of 1995. I push the 95 because I do not like the New Translation. The New Translation is not really good, in my mind, of the New NASB, so I like the 95. And that's what we'll be looking at. So, according to the New King James Version, it says, Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them. to say, Go number Israel and Judah. If we look at the New International Version, it says, anger, Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. And finally, if we look at the NASB of 95, it says, Now again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and it incited David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. Now, when I read those back-to-back, we could have easily missed what I'm trying to point out here. If we look at them closely, according to the... New King James Version, it says he incited or moved David. That's what we're going to focus on. That he is capitalized. That therefore implies that it was God telling him. If it was God telling him, then David shouldn't have gotten in trouble later on. But if we look at the NIV Version, it says he with a lowercase. So now it has to be a person, but it can't be God. And if we look at the NASB of 95, it says it. So now we're looking at it. It can't be God, but it can be a person or something else. So how do we understand what is the right translation? And there's two good ways to do it. First off, we're lucky that, like I said earlier, the story is told twice. That is in that First Chronicles 21.1. 1. 
So we got to look at that, and we'll also look at the original text. For us to understand anything going on here, we have to understand who incited David. So let's start off by looking at the First Chronicles 21.1. It says, Then Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. That is said in both the NASB, the New King James Version, and the New International Version. They all say Satan stood up against Israel and moved or incited David. So according to that, this is Satan moving him, not God. But just to be sure, let's go ahead and look at that Hebrew. The Hebrew here is this word right here. It's pronounced sooth. Sooth means and translates to incite, allure, lure, or instigate. And it is in the third principle masculine part, which means you could put he, but it does not imply that it was God talking here. So if we look at it, between what sooth means, the other story telling of the story, we can include that it was Satan who got David to take the census or number Israel, not God. But when you're reading this, why would that be a big deal? Like, David was the king, so shouldn't David have the right to count his people and number his soldiers? And it comes down to something simple that we see in Exodus 30, verse 12. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what it says. And it says this passage of Scripture talks about God's ownership of his people. See, this is the issue. David did not own Israel. Israel did not belong to him. Israel belonged to God. So if someone was going to number Israel, it had to be a command from God. But it wasn't, as we already decided it was Satan. That is the issue. Now we'll move on. We'll go into verses 3 through 9. And it says, But Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God be, God aid the, the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my Lord the king still see, but why does my Lord the king delight in these things? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to register to the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and camped in Aror, on the right side of the city that is in the middle of the Galilee of Gad and toward Jezer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Titim and Hodeshi, and they came to Danjan and around to Sidon, and came to the fortress of Tyre, and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah and Beersheba. So when they had gone about through the whole land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and twenty days. And Job gave the number of the registration of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. I want to focus. Again, we see David doing what he does a lot. We've heard Donnie talk about it. It is David not listening to those who are trying to help him. See, if we look at the beginning of that passage of Scripture, we see Joab... And also, the commanders of his army look at him and say, why are you doing this? There's no need for this. And David, once again, gets clouded, like we all can when Satan tempts us when we fall into that. He gets clouded, and he says, well, no. So once again, David ignores those who are trying to look out for him and help him. And he takes the census. Verse 10 is where we're going to really camp out. 
This sermon is a smaller sermon, but I think it's short, sweet, and to the point. Verse 10, it says, Now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. David now realizes he messed up. He fell into Satan's temptations, and he went that way. But let's look at how he responded. He realized, I messed up. But he asked God for forgiveness. And this is where we're going to sit. This is where I think we learn most of it. Verse 10 is when we start seeing David go, wait a minute. I messed up. See, David, we all say, is a man after God's own heart. But as the series goes on, we see how many times he messed up himself. How much can we sit there and ask ourselves if people outside of this church at work at the store, or whatever it is, could they look at us and say, that person right there, they are a person after God's own heart. And actually think about it, because I know myself, when I ask that kind of question, I can go, well, yeah. But then I think about it, I don't know how much that lines up. It's easy to say yes, because we don't like to look at ourselves, but this is what it takes for us to grow. We have to take a deep look, see what's going on. I will say I'm pretty lucky. I've been doing an internship and working here at the church. It is a lot easier for me to sit here and be the same person you see on Sunday in the office while I'm at work. But when I'm outside of that office, it's harder. It's easier to slip. It could be that road rage because someone cut me off in lane. It could be that person who's got the thousand of coupons in line and I just want to get my groceries and leave. Whatever it is, it's easy to slip out of that mode of, this is who I am, period, on Sunday or not. So look at yourself and ask, if these people at this church saw me at my work, saw me at my day-to-day life, would they say that's the same person I sit with on Sunday? It's a tough question, but lucky for me, I can push things because I'm not the guy who sits here and preaches to you every Sunday. I can push a little bit harder, and then I can walk out the door and be okay. So that's what I'm going to do. Pushing makes us grow. If we don't push ourselves, we get set in our ways, and we don't change. I want to talk about the struggles that people have. And I want to make this clear before we start. And it is we as a church are to help and love on those who are struggling with sin. We're not called to condemn them for it. This is my little caveat. We get caught up in like, well, I have never done that. We sit there and judge those who are struggling, and they never get better when they can't turn to us for help. So we as a church are to help and love on those who are struggling with sin. We don't turn our back on them because we've all struggled with sin might be different than what they are struggling with, but we all have. And when we had struggled, we needed someone to come alongside of us. Do not make people feel bad and alone in their struggles. Now, I'm going to list some sins that people struggle with, and you might, you might not. And some are harder to hide than others, but they are adultery and lying and stealing, lust, gluttony, drunkenness. All of these stuff 
our stuff. And I would not be surprised if there's at least one person for each of these items in this building. It would not surprise me if someone's fighting that stuff, but they just do a good job of hiding it. We are a broken people who need God to put us back together better than ever. It's not what we do in sin. It's how do we react to our sin. And this is it. This is the focus, and here's the point. So I'm going to look over a couple different ways that people typically react in sin. And we're going to talk about the right way to react in sin. But to start off, we have the panic mode. This one I see a lot, and I see it a lot in my day-to-day life. We messed up and we freak out, and we're like, no, 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 no. No one needs to know. It's okay. I'm okay. I'll move on. It's a one-time thing. It's okay. It's whatever. I can move on. I don't need help. We're going to hide it down. This is where we white-knuckle everything. We get this lie in our head that we can take it on by ourselves. We can take that sin that we've been struggling with for years and say, I can do it by myself. I don't need help. And that sits in the idea that we are ashamed and embarrassed of our failures. It's good to recognize that our failures are wrong. It's wrong to sit there and say, I can do it by myself and never get better because you never got help. I did that for so long, and I try to white-knuckle all my issues, and wow, does it just destroy you. You never get better, and it just eats away. The next one I want to look at is reaction two, and it is, Lord, forgive me when I die, because I don't want to change what I'm doing. I see this all the time. We like what we're doing, even though we know it's wrong, but we decide it's okay. It could be worse, you know. I could be doing what that person over there is doing. We decide, I like what I'm doing, even though I know this isn't right, but I don't want to change that. It could be what you do behind your locked doors when no one's at home. It could be what you everyone sees day to day because you just don't care. It is our sin that we've struggled with, but we've just decided to move on and never fix it because it's okay. It could be worse. I see that all the time. More and more, there are so many people out there that know the Bible says this, and I'd say I follow God, but I don't want to give up this part of my life. I'm not ready for full surrender. It might make my life harder if I get rid of this. People might look at me weird again. Popularity is something we fight so much. Even as we get older, we don't want to be looked at differently. We don't want to be that cast out. We don't want to be that kid sitting on at lunch by themselves. We don't want that. And so we substitute our devotion and our surrender to God And we substitute it with, I don't want to lose that popularity. I don't want to be the outcast or look differently. See, all of these are a struggle, and they're the easy ones to fall into. Because what our real reaction is, what it should be, isn't easy. But it's what we're supposed to do. And like I said, this is a shorter sermon, but I don't like... I don't want to bog it down with things to complicate everything. I've sat in church, and I've had someone spout all this information, and I just lost what the point was. So here we are at our 
proper reaction. Reaction number three, and this is what we should be doing, and we see it perfectly here in David. David realized that this is an issue. And I'm going to give you a quick recap for the rest of that section of Scripture. God put on a three-day play. He had given David the option of what is the punishment for Israel. David chose a three-day plague instead of falling into anyone's hands or anything like that. Eventually, David realized, these people are suffering for my sin. So he begged and pleaded to God, what can I do to take this away? God commanded him to build an altar. And so he did. He built the altar and moved on, and he lived his life for God. That's it. The proper reaction to sin is realizing, I messed up. Now what do I have to do to get rid of this and so I can follow God 100% again? This is the proper reaction. When was the last time we sat there and were so convicted of our, our sins and our problems and our struggles that we just begged God for mercy? Begged Him to take away this burden that I've been fighting for so long and live our life for Christ. It seems cliche, but we see all those pictures of the person like on their knees and their hands are wide open. And all I picture in those is that person is broken and they've collapsed and they're begging for forgiveness. David did that. David sat there and he begged God, this is my sin. I don't want it to hurt anyone else anymore. Let me take this burden. He begged and asked, I want to follow you. What do we have to cut out of our life for us to follow him better? What do we need to take the step today to make this response what we live? The response of, God, have mercy on my soul. I failed. I turned my back on you. But I want to give everything I've got, my whole heart, every bit of my life, and follow you. What's it going to take? What are the steps to making that happen? We ask for forgiveness, and then we go back to what we're doing half the time. Was it truly you wanted forgiveness, or did you know you needed to say it? There's a difference between realizing I need to turn back to God and follow Him again, and actually doing it, than just saying it and going back to that sin. We're not perfect. God doesn't expect perfect, but He expects us to sit there and go, I messed up. I want to work on so I don't have this problem anymore. Some of our problems aren't going to be an overnight fix. Some of our problems like drunkenness or sexual sins, whatever it is, isn't going to be an overnight fix. But if we say, God, put the people in my life to help me get over this struggle, to keep me accountable, to keep me moving, because I want to follow you with all I've got. When we were baptized, including myself, I sat there and said, God, I want you to take everything. But I kind of went right back to that life I had anyways. So what is it? I'm going to leave you here with just the one question. What do you have to give so you can sit there like you were when you are baptized and say, God, my life is yours. Take whatever you need chisel out every bad part that does not fit your creation and lead me your way. That's a hard prayer.
But it's the right prayer. It's what we're called to do. And we're called to just love God and follow everything He's got. But we're here for each other. That's why I said at the beginning of this, we as the church are to love and help those who are struggling. Can't do it alone. It's going to take someone a lot of courage and strength to pray that prayer to God and mean it. So we need to come alongside them when they do and say, let's help you. Let's get you over this. So what are your responses going to be from here on out? When you are down in your pits and struggling, what will be your response? Are you going to say, no, 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 it's whatever, I can get over it and hide our sin. Try to white-knuckle it all through and do it ourselves. Are we going to sit there and say, it's okay, he'll forgive me when I die. It's not that big of a deal. I know the Bible says no, but it's not that big of a deal. Or are we going to sit there and say, God, forgive me because I messed up and I want to live for you. Will you pray with me? Dearly Father, as we wrap up this time, I know this is a shorter sermon, but it leaves such a straight message. It's so easy for us to get caught up in our struggles and our sins and be ashamed of it or decide it would be too hard to change from it. And I just pray that we remember that the right thing isn't always the easiest thing. And for us to say, God, look at my soul, take away what's not yours, and take control of what I'm still holding on. It's a hard prayer, but I pray that we can do it. I pray that we make our way to just following you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.